and welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer, and today we are going to be solving some of the big problems in travel. Our second guest is going to talk about how to make long car trips more palatable. But our first guest has arguably even a more pressing problem. He is Seth Kugel. He's the author of the Tripped Up column for the New York Times. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Seth. Hi, Pauline. Great to be here, as usual. Well, I loved the headline on your latest column. It was called, Help! I was catfished by my Airbnb host, and the place was a mess. Uh, I think that this is probably a pretty, a more common problem than people recognize. Yes. Well, first, I want to give credit to my editor for writing the headline. Uh, You know, we writers don't (laughs) often write the headlines, and usually I blame them if it's bad. So since it's good, I'll give her credit. Um, But yes. So who is the, was it Amy? Amy? It was, Uh, I think it was Amy. It was certainly one of the editors. Uh, I think it was Amy version. Um, And we actually thought hard about whether catfish was the right term and looked it up. And I think we decided it was because catfishing being like putting up a photo or pretending you're someone you're not in order to usually to like date someone or not date someone or scam someone. Uh, But in this case, um, to be the host of an Airbnb. Uh, place. And um, I don't know. So should I summarize the story? uh, Yeah. Let me just tell our listeners, uh, the basis of the column is Seth gets letters of distress from readers who have had bad travel experiences and that he tries to either fix it or explain it for the general public. So these terrible things don't happen to them. Boy, that's a great I'm going to use that. I'm going to like listen to this <laughs> podcast, copy that down and memorize it. Letters of distress is absolutely perfect. People send in stuff. It's they, they've just been frustrated forever with something that they can't, they can't figure out how to get a refund or they don't know why this place screwed them or whatever. And they write in, I will say sometimes they're wrong. They just not don't understand hmm. exactly what happened or they missed an email or now in several, in several cases, they actually, we're refund. I've now had stories I've started where people are demanding a refund for something. And then as we get into the story, they realize they actually did receive the refund. They just didn't see it <laughs> on their credit card. Wow. Well, there's a lot of, but, but a lot of times, of course, the companies are doing something wrong. And I think that's certainly the case in, in, in this one where um, a family went to London to stay for a few days in a very expensive Airbnb. We're talking like $800 a night in London. And, uh, the person listed as the host, as you know, if you, as you use Airbnb, you go in there and it says, hi, I'm, uh, Amy and I'm going to host you. And there's a picture of the person. And then they sort of talk usually in a folksy way about their place. Um, well, those of us who use Airbnb a lot know that that's not always the owner of the apartment. It's often a manager who works either alone or for a big company, and all the homey welcoming stuff is kind of BS, but at least it's not a direct lie. You know, they don't say, I right. love my home. They just kind of hide huh. the fact that they work in an office and take care of 27 Airbnbs. In this case, the person actually posted a fake photo. So not only was it the a worker for this company, Houst, H-O-U-S-T, which is a London-based but 
world, I mean, somewhat worldwide company that manages Airbnb and other uh, rental uh, apartments. But um, they just took a, literally a stock photo of what I found out was a German photographer's ex-girlfriend taken in Bali <laughs> in 2014. And yeah, I love that you tracked down who this woman was. That was great. That was the most fun thing to do. Uh, and it wasn't really that easy, although the photographer, I believe his name was Patrick Pills, he was he was into it. You know, as soon as he realized that his photo was being used to catfish people, he he, he told me about it and told me about his girlfriend and actually told me that it was now his ex-girlfriend. So, you know, we want to be very accurate about the status of relationships in the New York Times. Um, <laughs> but in any case, um, she uh, – I don't have any reason to think this is a bad person or anything, but the company certainly has a flawed policy where they're allowing their um, host to post a fake photo. And this is clearly against yeah. Airbnb rules. Um, and hmm. um, it's dishonest. And the, the person's uh, identity was verified. Uh, so Airbnb got back to me and didn't answer many of my questions. But one thing they did say is right. we have verified this host, which raises the question, well, you verified the person, but obviously not the photo. Um, yeah. And anyway, so what happened is none of this would have really mattered if the apartment was in great shape and everything had worked. I mean, 99 times out of 100 or maybe 95 times out of 100, little things like this don't end up mattering. But in this case, it did because sure. the family arrived uh, in London after probably a long flight across the Atlantic and the keys weren't there. They were supposed to pick up the keys in a convenience store, which is already not what you want, right? You want either a right. lockbox or you want your host to welcome you with a cup of tea or something. And the, right. went, Absolutely. To the, went to the convenience store, which works with this company called Keynest, which is another company involved in this, uh, which has this technology to exchange keys via codes with convenience store owners, essentially, or cafe owners. The key <laughs> wasn't there. So they waited. Uh, so they said, okay, well, we're going to call the number of the host. They call the number of the host. It's not Emily, I think is her name. Uh, it's a call center in Portugal. And they say, oh, the keys aren't here. Oh. And uh, they didn't say they were in Portugal, but he found out because he said, well, can you bring the keys over? No, I'm in Portugal. Uh, and so they waited for, I think, like three or four or five hours, and um, which doesn't seem like a lot. But when you're with your luggage on a street corner uh, with right. your After daughter, an international flight when you're so exhausted. Yeah. And yeah. He, he said it was a bit of a dodgy area. And. Anyway, finally the keys arrive. It turned out the cleaners hadn't gotten to the place yet, which of course they should have because you know the check-in time had already passed. Then he gets the keys. Finally, they get in there, and if the cleaners were there, actually, it didn't really look like it. They, they, he he dug. He <laughs> sent me a photo of the hair chunk of hair clogging the drain that he pulled Ew. out. Not what you want to see. Uh, yeah. There was a whole bunch of other things. The elevator didn't work, and it was said, and the and the and the host, the housed person said, "Oh, the elevator just broke." But they found out from the neighbors it had really not worked in a year. It was just, it was just all just deception, deception, deception. And so then, you know, he complained to me, and I looked into it, and it does turn out that, of course, I didn't know the exact numbers, but at least according to Inside Airbnb, which is a sort of a critical group of Airbnb, more than half of the Airbnbs in the United States are actually run by not the owner. Some person huh. hired as the host, which there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, some people prefer that. It's more professional 
you might say. Right. Um, but you should at least know that. And another, just another final thing I'll add on this is Airbnb does know and requires by law all hosts around the world to register as either an individual host, meaning they own the place, or they're maybe the friend of the person who owns the place or something, and a commercial host, which means they're running a company and, and running a bunch of different places. And they just basically hide it from the consumer. And that's very, right. very annoying. Well, and not only was the place a mess, then the host or host company claimed that the renter never returned the key, right? So they, they were trying to they were trying to keep money from them. So yes. So then the uh the guest um complained to Host, which is the host, uh, and said, This place is disgusting and 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 we missed three hours of our rental. Can you refund me for one night? I mean I would have asked for more than that personally. But they said they would and then when they didn't, he went to Airbnb and said these people said they'd refund me and they didn't. And Airbnb intervened and said that the host company said they, he hadn't returned the keys. And let me tell you, I mean, short of a video of him returning the keys, he had a lot of evidence. He had a picture right. of the convenience store, time stamped to the time he checked out, uh, a picture of wow. the clock in the convenience store. Showing the same time as the timestamp. I mean, he obviously knew that he had to document all this. Now, I, I should point yeah. out that he made a, a big mistake uh, that everyone should be aware of, which is that don't, if it's a big problem, yes, go to your host, but also let Airbnb know. Airbnb told me that the right. fact that he didn't report it to them in 72 hours basically makes him ineligible for their big new sort of renter assurance, uh, you know, whatever policy. They have. Yes. And so right. that's just a super important thing. I mean, um, and he admits he didn't do that, but he didn't because he didn't read the policy very carefully. It's called the air cover of their policy. And you just, you need to get in touch with them within 72 hours. Um, and he might've gotten the money back from Airbnb then instead of from house and then Airbnb. Yeah, it's a long story, but in any case, the point is, you got to be really Once careful. Once the New York rent. Times got involved, he got his money back, right? Yeah, I mean, but <laughs> he got nine hundred. He got nine hundred dollars back, um, but right. it didn't. The, the, in fact, it's funny. The the article didn't quite have the impact. I had had a huge impact. It had over a thousand four hundred comments. It was it made wow. a big splash, but it didn't quite have the impact I'd hoped on this company, Housed who never returned my calls. And I even wrote to the, this Emily person. I found out her full name. We just didn't use it. And I wrote to her directly via Instagram. They were silent on this. And um, huh. she did, however, change her photo um, after uh, the article came out. However, she changed it to another fake photo, which readers wow. quickly wrote in the comments that she took it from another site of stock photos. So it it's just kind of a... It's just, I mean, it's a little crazy. And and Airbnb is, well, is obviously a very big company and doesn't have control of everything anymore. Yeah. I, you know, I used to be a huge, huge fan of Airbnb because it used to be a place where you could save a lot of money. And especially if you did what I always did or used to do, I used to actually stay in a room in someone's apartment Absolutely. or home because uh, that was cheaper. Uh, but... It, it it seems like those opportunities are fewer and far between. And I had a, actually a, a terrible incident in Chicago mm -hmm. 
where it had it was a room in someone's apartment and I was drawn to it because they had written they had lots of cats and I love cats and I thought oh it'd be so fun to be around the cats but I had seen some other red flag comments and I got there and my host was clearly high on something very powerful and then her boyfriend came in and they started having this horrible argument and I'm in the room thinking okay do I stay here what am I going to do to go to the bathroom maybe I could use this cup that's in the room because I thought (laughs) I don't want to go and then I thought oh my god what am I doing why why am I staying here and so I I left and I contacted Airbnb and eventually it took a while. They gave me my money back on that one. And I I think she's no longer hosting, but um, so, but back to this story, the reason Airbnb was so popular, I think no longer exists. It used to be, you could get a great deal for a full apartment and it would be less than a hotel room. But because Airbnb became so popular during the pandemic when people didn't want to be in crowded lobbies of hotels or in elevators with other people and wanted private lodgings, now there have been studies showing that Airbnb is on average more expensive than a hotel room. And yet when you book one, you might have professional service, you might or might not, but you have no accountability. I think that was the key to your article. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's, a, it's actually... That actually reminds me of Uber in New York City. Sometimes Uber is more expensive than a taxi now. So everything's flipped around and it is, there is just, you're right, not accountability. Hotels do mostly follow rules and, um, yeah. and have a lot of regulation and Airbnb doesn't. Now, um, I, I think they could easily do a better job, uh, but there's always going to be some, some element of risk in renting Airbnb. I will say two things that people should definitely do and, you know, any red flags you see in like, you've got to read those evaluations, you know, ratings very, very carefully. So when I went right. back to this London listing, the average score was 3.8 out of five, which may not mm. sound that bad, but in Airbnb land, that's actually yeah. not good at all. And I would right. never stay in a place that was under four. And and only then if, you know, there was some, I don't know, there were only five reviews and one person hated it and they seemed like a jerk or something like that. You read all those reviews very carefully. The other thing I recommend doing is writing to the person before you reserve, right? And it's a little hard to do Mm -hmm. that. You got to scroll all the way down and there's a thing you'll finally found saying, saying contact host. And you write them a note and you see if they're nice and they respond quickly and they sound like a nice person. Um, because at least that's a little test. And then the other thing is, and Airbnb makes it so hard to do this, if you scroll to that same area and you look at the host, you look at how many reviews they have for their properties, if it's much higher than the number of reviews for this one property, that means they have multiple properties, then you know it's probably a business person. And if you click through, and by the way, the only way to click through is not to click on the host's name. You have to click on their photo, their potentially fake photo, and then it takes you to their host page, which shows how many listings they have. So you could find out, oh, this, this person has 47 listings, in which case it's obviously a company. So there's ways to do it, but they do not make it easy for you. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, the excellent advice. I wanted you to to tell how to solve this problem. And I think also we all have to get out of the mindset that Airbnb is going to be cheaper. Absolutely. You know, I think people people assume that and $900 for a hotel in London? <laughs> Holy moly. Well. You could you could be staying at Selfridges, you know, you could be yeah. staying somewhere really really glamorous well, for that amount of money. One thing that made this great this article great for me is that this guy it was his first time ever using Airbnb, which to me, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I didn't think that. I'm like, of course everyone uses Airbnb, but of course not necessarily. And right. so it was really good for me to hear from his perspective the way he looked at Airbnb. And he's kind of still looked at it as it was in the old days. And you're talking about the price. I talk about having real people renting yeah. out their homes. Yeah. And, and the Airbnb narrative, I mean, this was a fun exercise for me as well. I, I, I pretended I had never done Airbnb before and I just read their stuff on their website. And it, they still do promote it as like a place, live like a local, con- connect with right. your host. Sure. And then if you go into this other side of the website, which is become a host, they go on and on about how easy it is to hire someone to take care of your property for you. So it's they're talking <laughs> out of both sides of their mouth. And, and I understand it's a business and and it's 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 still great. I'm literally staying in an Airbnb right now. But wow! Uh, but I think I know how you're, you're in Sao Paulo right now, I right? Am in, I'm in Brazil now, and I happen to know the city very well. I've stayed in a lot of places right. here, and you know, I've stayed in a lot of places here, and I, uh, I, I sort of can tell. But I also, I always say to people, I use Airbnb. I pretend I'm going to a time machine, and I go look for people <laughs> who are the real hosts and clearly are renting out their own place. Now, what you did, hmm. which is renting out a room in someone's place, actually does probably mean it's the real person renting out their place. Of course, you sure. had a negative experience doing that. I, I had many, many positive experiences before that one. I got to say, I met wonderful people all over the world that way. Yeah. But the, that one was the one that right. kind of broke the camel's well, back. I would still recommend people do what you did, except obviously be very careful and know to get out of there. Uh, you know, if they want that kind of experience <laughs> or be like me, I mean, yeah. I want a whole apartment cause I usually stay for a while, but right. I wanted to be with a host. That's a real person who lives here. And actually in this place where I'm right now, she's wonderful. She, she, she's having me water her plants. I've been in places where I had to take care of cats. I love until I, I had the place where I had to take care of <laughs> the cat. I hated cats and I love dogs. Now I love them both huh. because I got a cat oh. for a month. And it was up front. She said, if you're going to rent my place, you, I'm going to ask you to take care of my cat. And I was like, sure, why not? And I did it. And this woman is wonderful who's, who's staying here. She's come over. She just she's, she doesn't believe I'm watering her plants, which I am. But she was a little bit uptight about that. But um, but right. she's wonderful. And she's helpful. And, and the play, I had a problem with the plumbing. And she almost had a, a heart attack trying to get a plumber over oh. here instantly. I was like, don't worry about it. It's fine. I can wait right. a day. So I really like that part of Airbnb, and I'm really sorry Absolutely. that they're so they're, they're causing so much trouble for so many. I mean, look, just go into the article in the Times and start reading the comments. There's a thousand four hundred comments. And My it's goodness! Not, and believe wow. me, not, not too many of them saying I love Airbnb. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, if people want to send you their own letters of distress, and remember, these have to be about travel. They can't just send you letters of distress. Uh, 
where should they send them? What's yeah. what's the how does it work? It's tripped up at nytimes.com. Um, let me. I got to make sure I have that right because it gets forwarded to me. I'm just going to be absolutely sure here. Send your thing. Yes, tripped up all one word at nytimes.com, and please keep it relatively short. I I get a ton of these emails, and if you can keep it huh. to like a paragraph or two concise you don't need to talk about how horrible this was just tell me the facts and then i can read it quickly and get back to you um some people i get back to if i see an obvious solution some people i just can't get back to because it's too many and then some people right. i actually you know include in the call yeah absolutely and it's a delightful column oh, so many you. many congratulations thank Seth. you Pauline. all right thank you for appearing today on the travel show no worries it's a pleasure next guest is a return one. He is Nevin Martell. He writes all the time for the Washington Post, and I wanted to have him on because I thought the topic of his recent article was a really helpful and an insightful one. Uh, it's called How to Make the Most of Long Solo Car Trips. Hey, Nevin, welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you so much for having me. It's always such a pleasure to spend time with you. Well, what was your inspiration to write this? Well, it came about because I take a lot of long solo car trips myself. Uh, my family lives up in central New York and I live in the Washington DC hour area. So, you know, I'm in the road for anywhere from six and a half to seven and a half hours to get to see them. And, you know, on one trip, I got a little frustrated because, you know, I did some of the obvious things like listening to podcasts and stuff. But I thought to myself, so many people, myself included, think of these long solar car trips as wasted time. But sure. I bet that there's a lot of ways that we could apply ourselves and actually spend that time getting enriched or being engaged. And so really, the article came out of the idea that I wanted to figure out how I could better spend my long solo car trips and I figured that if I was in that conundrum, there would be lots of other people that would be too. Well, and what was so interesting to me is you found a lot of true experts, people who do this all the time, including a long distance trucker. <laughs> who's yeah. Kind of the epitome a, of this. Yeah. And Finn Murphy was a hoot. I mean, he's one of those guys that, you know, full of stories, full of color and, um, also just really full of helpful suggestions because he had kind of applied himself to that question. You know, I'm out here all the time. What can I do to make it better for me? And uh, his book actually came out of the time that he spent as a long-term trucker. You know, he his book is about those years. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of fittingly, the book started coming about when he started uh, recording observations and little anecdotes during those long trips himself. Well, and I thought that was interesting. That was one of his suggestions. Write a book while yeah. you're while you're doing your long distance drive or, or write a song. Uh, tell us a yeah. little bit more about how the heck you would do that. So uh, the other, I spoke to this wonderful uh, musician um, and Ira, and she, you know, will start the drive by engaging in a podcast or a book or listening to music. And then after about an hour, an hour and a half, so she'll turn off everything and she'll just sit with her thoughts as she drives. And during that kind of time of contemplation and, and, and quietness, 
she starts to have like little melodies burble up in her mind or maybe a, a lyric will occur to her. And so she'll eventually, once she has something that she's happy with or she thinks might have some legs for exploring down the road, so to speak, she'll pull over and record a voice memo on her phone. And, you know, then when she's, you know, in a period of time when she's songwriting or recording, she goes back to her voice memos from her long trips and listens to the ideas that she came up with out on the road. And uh, that those have provided the basis of some of her songs, which I thought was really interesting. Right. And there are, are there are you you list a bunch of apps for people who want to be talking out loud to themselves and recording their revelations as they drive. What are, what are some of those? Which do you think is the best one? So I've used uh, an app called Dragon Anywhere, which is a transcription uh, app, which will take your spoken word and translate it into typed speech, into typed text, pardon me. And that, you know, it's helpful because um, with a lot of these apps, that one included, like, it's very helpful to be in a quiet environment. And, you know, there, there is some noise in a car, but it's generally kind of a white noise that the app can uh, overlook when it's recording uh, your voice and then translating it. So uh, that's great, too, because, um, you know, Finn Murphy started out, that's the long haul trucker. He started out in the days of, of you know, just putting everything onto miniature cassette tapes. Uh, when he was driving and then having to like literally mail them to a transcription service who would then, you know, <laughs> type it up and, and mail him back physical copies. And this, of course, cuts out like so many of the middlemen and so much of the time in that process. Um, you know, the one thing I will say is like, you know, they're not always perfect. And of course, you have to read over the transcripts and it, they do make mistakes. Um, but it's great for kind of getting like, a, a you know, a really strong framework down in terms of uh, what you want to maybe work with in terms of like a writing project or a song project later on. Right, right. Now, of course, not everybody is a creator. No, not everybody mm -hmm. does this type of thing. For those who just want to make the road trip more interesting, you, you say maybe take on the listening to a difficult book. And and when mm -hmm. I heard that, red flags went up for me because I've tried to do that when I've been driving. And sometimes if a book is too complicated, I can't follow it while I'm driving. Uh, so so describe what you mean by a difficult book. Sure. You know, there might be books in the canon of quote unquote classic literature that you might have always wanted to read or felt like you had to read. And it, it doesn't have to be something, you know, particularly deep. It might just be something like you've never read Tom Sawyer, or you've um, never read Catch-22, or, you know, it doesn't have to be um, perhaps the most profoundest or the deepest book ever written. Um, but it's Those kind of a good way to just kind of... pretty profound, actually. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Good, good examples of that. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was, it was in, it, you know, um, you know, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, it's just kind of a good time to check off the list. Some of the books like you feel like you should have read, but haven't read yet. But the other suggestion that I got from Finn Murphy, which I thought was fantastic is, you know, sometimes there are books that you've started to read in their, you know, in their physical form. In his case, it was the Harry Potter series. He couldn't get into it. And he started then listening to the book on tape of Harry Potter. And uh, I'm not sure if you listen to the English or the American version, they both have fantastic uh, readers of the books that really bring the text to life with voices and everything. And he said, you know, when he listened to them in that form, suddenly the books were incredibly engaging and 
he fell in love with the whole series and uh, I can, you know, I can totally understand what he went through because that's the way I ended up falling in love with Harry Potter too. I, I started reading the books and was like, well, I don't know. And then I listened to them on tape and it was a totally different experience. So uh, for some people, it's, I think it's a good yeah. way to give a book that you didn't like a second chance because the narrator really brings it to life. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Okay. You also suggest people curate their music, maybe listening to local artists as they're driving or picking a genre of music and trying to go more deeply into that. I thought that was a great suggestion. And then you have a pretty radical one, something that people just don't do anymore. Call someone on the phone and talk to them. <laughs> How the I heck know, does that I work? I, that, that's so <laughs> old fashioned. I know, I know, but I feel like I had to have one Luddite suggestion in the lot. And uh, <laughs> I, I've always appreciated when I've had the long drive uh, and somebody at the other end of the phone has also had time in their schedule, which of course is key. You both have to have the kind of space and headspace in order to have these conversations. But, uh, you know, without the distraction of a screen or, a, you know, a, my child asking me a question or, uh, you know, an, an employer asking me to do something, those kinds of long stretches in the car really do afford you kind of a blank space that uh, that are generally free of interruption other than the obvious concentration you have to give to the driving itself um, to really have like longer, sometimes more profound conversations. Um, you know, if it gets too emotional, I would recommend pulling over. You don't want to be a danger to yourself or others on the road. But I think that uh, the, the ro open road, when the person at the other end has the time and space for you, can be a great time to have a, a meaningful conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Although I think nowadays, as you said, you do have to warn them in advance. Hey, I'm going to call you. Would you actually <laughs> yeah. like to speak to me on the phone? I have time. <laughs> uh, you also so talk about reasons to stop and the fact that you should stop, that it doesn't have to be just this forced march or forced drive where you get where you're going as, as fast as possible, uh, that, that this could be an opportunity to explore local cuisines. And I loved your, the uh, resources you gave for that or local attractions. Talk a little bit more about that. Well, you know, I plan all of my trips around food and, uh, <laughs> you know, I get so much joy for stopping on a road trip or any kind of travel for a great meal because you know i see a meal always as an opportunity for sustenance uh opportunity for nutrition and an opportunity for just pure enjoyment and if you can knock two or three of those out of the park when you stop that's that's a great stop and it also gives you a, a literal and figurative taste of the place that you're passing through and um you know gives you the fuel that you need to keep going um but i also like kind of stopping at stranger things along the way you know like if if I pass by the world's largest ball of twine on a road trip, I'm always going to stop. If I, if you know, if you stop, if you drive by like the world's largest five and dime emporium, I'm always going to stop. You know, you never know what you're going to find on a road trip, and uh, it's always fun to just kind of explore those like oddball, unexpected little moments that are uh, just off the side of the road. Sometimes you have to do a little research in advance because they're not always advertised, but it's worth it to research those or a great restaurant to stop along the way. It just It just adds color and fun to the trip. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact that you recommend for food, 
uh, using road food. That's one of my favorite resources. It's a website that's been around forever. It was started by Jane and Michael Stern, and they are true experts in the best uh, clam shacks and barbecue huts and diners and places where you don't have to spend a fortune for a meal, but you'll, you'll get a taste of the local cuisine. Yeah, no, they, they are true innovators and pioneers in, in that space. And, uh, you know, have given me so many great suggestions over the years that I've really appreciated. And that the article also gets very psychological. You have some suggestions for ways to get mindful on the road, either thinking about improving your driving or mm-hmm. enjoying the the value of selfishness. Uh, talk a little bit about the value of selfishness in this context. I think that there's so much negativity attached to the word selfishness, and, and, and it can mean negative things, but there's also a positive element to the concept in the sense that, you know, in life, as you get older, you're being asked to do more and more things for more and more people. And, you know, they are things that you want to do and people that you want to help, you know, whether it's, you know, your family or your employer or your friends. But as you continue to give, that diminishes greatly the amount of time and effort and uh, kind of attention that you have to give yourself. And when you're solo traveling, you know, it's not that you're totally untethered from your commitments or your obligations at home or at work or elsewhere. But you know, you're setting the schedule, you are deciding what to do largely, Um, you know, it's really about you. And that allows you to spend a little time working on yourself. And um, when you give so much to others, you're only allowed to give so much to others because you have to give it. And if you don't replenish yourself, you won't have to give it at all. And so I think solo travel is really helpful on that front. And you say in it that it shouldn't be just something you do when you solo travel, Take note of how it feels to be selfish and try and bring that a little bit into your daily life. Absolutely. And you end the article uh, doing something that I find is done in a lot of travel articles, but I really enjoy it because it's true. Uh, You say, or just ignore my advice (laughs) and do nothing. Do it your own way. Uh, I I thought that was terrific. So what's the value of just doing nothing? You know, I think it circles back really well to the idea of selfishness in the sense that, you know, in life, there are so many commitments and obligations that we all have. And there are things that we love and people that we love. But sometimes it's just nice not to have anything on the docket and to just go somewhere and sit and listen to other people and watch the world unfold, uh, whether that's on the open road or when you pull over for lunch at a diner, you know, don't read a book, don't check the news, don't make a call at lunch enjoy your lunch, enjoy everything that's transpiring around you. Um, I find that incredibly replenishing. And I think in these days of just, you know, constant uh, attention grabbing devices and people and work, uh, it's nice to have those moments that decompression is is necessary for all of us. Absolutely. All right. Well, on that note, I'm going to say thank you so much for this delightful article and this delightful chat. And thanks to all our listeners. We've come to the end of this week's show. Uh, But to those who are traveling, do nothing. (laughs) And may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. See you next week.